belongs to Jesus Christ, we can trust him to get us to heaven. And you know what, I'm so glad it doesn't depend on me, because if it did, even for a day, I wouldn't get in. I know that. Um, so we can trust him, but I've known plenty of Christians, and actually probably all of us at some time or other, who have life, but do not have life to the full. So I think what we mean by a passionate life is a fully filled life. Now, somebody a lot cleverer than me wrote about the Greek word zoe aeonian, I think you pronounce it, and it means eternal life. In English, we tend to think of it as meaning life after death, but as somebody quipped, we believe in life before death. And Jesus said this was the very reason he came, to give us life in all its fullness. He used the same word for the kingdom of God as he used when he was talking about abundant life. And Paul used the same word when he spoke of fullness or life in the spirit or being in Christ. Jesus and Paul were speaking of quality of life, fruitfulness and depth and abundance of life. And when you have this quality of aliveness, it will be a passionate life. Now, people say that religion has no future. And you know what? If it shrinks and starves aliveness, then I say let it go. I don't think Jesus liked the organized religion of his day for exactly that reason, because it shrank and starved aliveness. But I believe we're doing this series because we are seeking aliveness or abundance, and that makes the church the world's best hope. You know, people talk about the church being a movement, a peace movement, or a justice movement. I suppose essentially what we are is an aliveness movement. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So where is the Holy Spirit? He lives with you and will be in you to make you fully alive. And this promise was at the core of Jesus' message. But you know, even in Pentecostal church circles... Um, we have tended to um, see baptism of the Holy Spirit just becoming another manageable doctrine and people missing out on the aliveness that Jesus died for us to have. Now, I want to share with you a quote from myself. <laughs> okay, I said this at the beginning of an Alpha Away day, oh, donkey's years ago, certainly more than 10 years ago. And I want to say to you that every word of it is true and yet not true. Now, let me explain what I mean. This is what I said. I said, I became a Christian in 1980. 
The first five years of my Christian life, I understood that Jesus died for me. I looked at other Christians who I admired, and because I wanted to please God, I tried as hard as I could to be just like them, although that wasn't actually what God wanted. By 85, it broke me. I was striving to please God as though my salvation depended on works, and I arrived at Junction 10 disillusioned with the Christian life as I'd known it till then. But clinging to the hope that there was more to be had, something that I hadn't experienced yet. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, every word of that is true. It is true, but I think I was looking at life through a certain lens that's kind of conditioned by our tradition. You see, it really isn't as simple as I became a Christian in 1980. At the beginning of that year, I made a decision on the back of a good two years of reading and seeking and a conversion experience really but I can go back much further than that when I was a child when I prayed when I was a child when I read my bible when I had a sense of God being around and loving me even though I didn't understand anything I can certainly remember when I was young you know praying if I was scared or something like that having some sense of God and you know, if you were to ask me now, I would not put a date and time on it. I would say that coming into life was a process, rather slow in my case. Now, why am I saying all this? What's it got to do with my given title, which is fully filling? Because I, it's important for today's message to say that sometimes I think we make too much of one-off experiences. Now, I do believe that appeals can be enormously helpful when people are unsure and they really want to make that decision to give their life to Jesus Christ. And of course, we often pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. I'm certainly not discounting the power of suddenly moments. I've seen some very joyful suddenly moments when people responded to an appeal or received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And they were blessed and we were blessed and God was blessed. But however good it was, and it was, I really want to make the point that we need to be continually being filled. You know, years ago, AOG used to make a big thing about this so-called second blessing. And they used to say that tongues were the initial evidence. Nowadays, they say an evidence, which is definitely more accurate. But again, it was a one-off experience. you kind of got to name the day. And just as Christians would sort of divide people up, you know. I remember once, again, I'm going back years, we had a chap in our church. And on the week one of the Alpha course, literally the first thing he said was, right, let's go around the table and find out who's saved and who isn't. And you can imagine, you know, immediately people were defined as being in or out. You know, and if you're really old-fashioned, you might say, are you washed in the blood? <laughs> Love that. And I've heard Pentecostal Christians say, is he or she baptised in the Spirit? Or, I was filled with the Spirit 50 years ago. Well, do you know what? If you're relying on an experience 50 years ago, there's not going to be much fruit in these days, is there? But it's unscriptural. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. 
And although I'm no Greek scholar, I thank God that I was taught about that continuous tense that we don't have in English. So Paul isn't saying, receive the baptism of the Spirit and that'll see you through for the next 50 years. He's saying, always be being filled with the Spirit. So my question to you is today, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether or not you speak in tongues? Speaking personally, I know I went from striving to live the Christian life in my own strength, something that I still see some people doing today, to discovering that there is a helper. And again, it's a lifetime process. You know, we all have our ups and downs, don't we? But over time, are you being set free? Are you being useful to God as the Spirit speaks through you or uses you in some way? Are you experiencing the presence? Are you hearing God, getting answers to prayer, receiving gifts that minister to other people, and the fruit of love or joy or whatever it might be? This is life. This is passionate, fully filled life. Now, as it happens, I speak in tongues. Do I understand it? No. Who can? I just know it's a gift and somehow it helps to bypass this busy mind of mine when I'm worshipping. I've seen miracles, not too many, and you know what? I'm sure not as many as God wants us to see. But some, do I understand it? No. Who can? Except to say that these things are the manifestation of the Spirit, the presence. And it's a very good starting point to simply say to God, I want more. The Christian life isn't meant to be lived naturally, but supernaturally. And the Holy Spirit prays through us and works through us and speaks through us. And that is totally different to working in your own strength or praying in your own strength. That will break you. I say this in all seriousness. Better to give up now if your life or ministry depends on your own efforts. Just let it go because it will break you. Now, I'm sure I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm not proud of. But the best things, the things that will be remembered for eternity, he did them. And that's the only testimony I want to share is the things that he did. That's what I want to be remembered, what he did. You always remember years ago, a friend of mine, she had three little children and she was pretty hopeless at, you know, keeping house. Everything was always chaos and she just couldn't organise herself. And when she was filled with the spirit, she found herself empowered to be a much better homemaker. And I remember going to her house one day and I commented on how nice everything looked. I said, oh, it looks lovely. She said, I haven't done it. And I knew exactly what she meant, because actually she had done it, but what she meant was she'd been empowered to do what she couldn't previously do. And God is always on the move. He's not looking to give us just a one-off experience, but to be continually at work in our lives. If you take creation as an example of God being continually at work, do we think he just spent six days making everything beautiful and then sat back and watched as sin destroyed it? No. He's always working to bring things back and will bring things back to what originally was so good at creation. Now, the cross, that was a one-off event. It happened on a particular day, at a particular time, but the cross is continually working to reconcile to God, not only men and women, but all creation. 
The creation is groaning right now, the Bible says, as in the pains of childbirth, because Satan wants global destruction. But the cross continues to exert its power to reconcile, in other words, to bring back all things to God. And this is the gospel message, that in Christ, everything is reconciled or brought back to God. So... If I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is continually at work, that this baptism of the Spirit is more than a one-off event, how do we be continually being filled? Because there are things we can do. But I want to talk about consistency without legalism. It might be better to put it this way, that we're called to attend to our spiritual well-being first. Now, God spoke to me about this. Around Christmas, I really wasn't very well. I was in a lot of pain, and actually, I could hardly walk. So, obviously, I was praying for healing. What I was praying for was physical strength, and God spoke to me so clearly, and he said that it is spiritual strength you need, first and foremost. Without spiritual strength, you've got no strength at all. Not physical, not emotional, any kind of strength. So the first thing you need to do is to put your spiritual well-being first. Ask yourself, what drains my spiritual stamina? And if you can identify a spiritual drain on your life, correct it right away. If you know there's something that comes between you and God, remove it right away. And then God said to me, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So what does that mean, to stand firm in your faith? Well, it's all about thinking, isn't it? You know, what the Lord told me to do was go back to basics, back to the foundation of the cross. That's more important than all the empires of the world, to state again what you believe. Sometimes we have to go back to basics and reaffirm Bible truths, basic truths, especially the cross and all that it's still accomplishing. And then, of course, to pray. You know, doesn't it say in the Bible, you do not have because you do not ask. And if you're thinking, I want to be fully filled with the Spirit, I want this passionate life, I want this abundant life that Jesus came for me to have, but I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to ask to be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what? It isn't difficult. It really isn't. I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. Here's a short prayer that you could say every day from Psalm 51. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Just imagine what might happen if we said that prayer every day. Every single day. I wonder what would happen. I need to change the mic. Hang on. Say that prayer while I change the mic. This one. Yeah. One, two. We're on. Okay. So, maybe we could pray that every day and I wonder what would happen. Any good? Sounds like we've got something running around the ceiling, doesn't it? Shall I just carry on? Okay. 
So pray, ask God, maybe pray that every day. And then in the words of Jared Cooper to all of us, he said to us, didn't he, adjust your posture. You know, he really amused me when he said, if juggling got me closer to God, I'd be a juggler. He said that, didn't he? But what does get you into God's presence? You know, if you're not doing it or going there, whatever it is that you know brings you closer to God, then how can you be filled with the Spirit? Funnily enough, the day that Jared came here, I'd just written this scripture into my journal. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, that's a posture, isn't it? Coming before God, offering yourself to him. Not for death, this is a living sacrifice. This is giving him your life and all your strength and your gifts and so on. Now, this is not a formula. It's not three or four steps in how to be filled with the Spirit. But as I said, we do tend to overcomplicate it sometimes. And my point is that God is not a million miles away. So, prioritizing your spiritual strength. Stating again what you believe, asking to be filled and giving yourself to him, that's a good start. Because do you know what? The Holy Spirit isn't playing hard to get. He isn't. What he wants is for us to come back to our first love. Oh, that's better. <laughs> okay. The Ephesian church didn't know how far they'd fallen. Do you remember Revelation 2? You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And sometimes we all need to repent of this, don't we? I read this scripture the other day from Jeremiah and try and catch God's heart as I read it to you. There's a kind of wistfulness in the heart of God in these words. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Can you catch that in God's heart for you? That kind of wistfulness for your earlier devotion to him. And I had a, a reading that was based on this scripture and it asked some questions. Am I as kind to God as I used to be? Do I make him glad or do I complain? Have I forgotten to rejoice in him? Did I once go out of my way to prove my devotion to him? Am I now so in love with him that I take no thought for where he might lead me? And perhaps the most touching, what does God remember about me or you that he misses nowadays? You know, these might be hard questions, but they're not condemning questions. Don't forget 2 Corinthians where it says you became sorrowful as God intended you to be and so you were not harmed in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So repentance is good. It only, it's only about coming back to our first love. But remember what I said, the Holy Spirit is not playing hard to get. Here's a quote from Thomas Keating. He said, the chief thing that separates us from God is the thought that we are separated from him. Get rid of that thought. And I might be about here, you're thinking, well, sin separates us from God. But where then is the power of the cross? Continually at work. 
If Jesus has wiped out your sin, could it be that you're deceived if you believe that you are now separated from him? Now, I'm not quite finished yet, but just can I ask you to close your eyes for a second while I read this scripture to you, because I want you to hear not my voice, but Jesus speaking to you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So, get rid of that thought that he's a million miles away. You know, one thing that definitely hindered me from receiving baptism in the Holy Spirit was fear. Fear that I would be excluded, that I wasn't good enough or spiritual enough or holy enough. But don't listen to fear, listen to Jesus. I'll finish with that point, but let me just first say a word about church. You know that I've been a leader for a lot of years. I've had responsibility for vision days. I know the pressure of being expected to pull the rabbit out of the hat on a certain day. You know what I mean? You've got to come up with a plan and forecast and revelation. And there's got to be a now word. And if somebody said to you, like they said to Joe, we have another vision this day, this year, then it's got to be now, hasn't it? And it's a pressure. And I want to say thank you to the leaders because they clearly articulated on our vision day, not only where we're at, but where we want to be and what we're going to do. And I also want to say to you, support them, volunteer, work to make good things happen, pray for them. But more than anything, seek the presence, because that's what we want and need, isn't it? The presence. Don't leave them or anybody else to strive without the presence. The heart of the leaders of this church is to have the felt presence of God, the heard presence, the manifest, experienced presence of God. And it's up to every one of us to seek God wholeheartedly for the presence. We want to see gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, miracles, divine healing. What are any of these but the manifestation of the presence? You want to be baptized in the spirit. You want to speak in tongues. You want to lay hands on the sick. Seek the presence. What did Jesus come for? Did he come to start a movement? Or did he come to give us life? And everything our leaders have mapped out, it's not just to build a movement. It's that we might have life. Life. Now, just recently, I've been reading, rereading the creation story. And as the Holy Spirit tends to do, he really brought it to life for me. And I found myself thinking about life and the quality of life before the fall. They had the presence of God. They had unbroken communion with him. They lived entirely without shame. We can't even imagine that. Guilt and shame were completely outside of their experience. They worked, but it was joyful, and they loved, and they sang, and they lived life to the full. 
and they never had to pretend. They were completely exposed. I mean, they were naked, so they really were completely exposed. But there were no expectations. There was peace and the freedom to be themselves with nothing to live up to, just being their true selves with God. Now, why did Jesus come to restore to us the kind of life that was experienced before the fall? John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's baptism or immersion or fully filling with the Holy Spirit. Somebody was once asked the question, have you received the second blessing? He said, yeah, it was between the first and the third. To be filled with the Spirit is to be fully alive day after day. Imagine before the fall how they reveled in all that God had made and they saw that it was good. All good, you know, rocks and clouds and rivers and living things and their own bodies and eating and sleeping and being together. All good and resting with God and simply enjoying it and noticing it that it was good. So what was the point of the cross? To wipe out the effects of the fall and to restore us to life, quality life. And the cross is still working. Didn't Jesus say the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy? I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He came to give us fully filled life. He died to give us fully filled life. So let me finish with this. Why should you be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Why should you be immersed, fully filled, living life to the full? Why would you be worthy of that? Because those are the questions that lurk in the back of our minds that stop us from being receptive to God. I want to tell you the answer to that question in the words of a song that we're going to sing in a minute. Guys, do you want to come up? Here's why. Because on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Look at the power words in that verse. Fountains deep and wide, great floodgates opening, a vast tide of love and mercy, mighty rivers of it pouring incessantly. And that's my point, that the power of the cross is incessant unceasing, continually working, whatever you've done, whatever you're not, it's irrelevant. Just come to the cross and stand underneath that great fountain of mercy that is still flowing and let its power wipe it all away and be filled with the Spirit now and today and every day. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he lives with you and he will be in with you. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So this is how we connect with the Spirit of God within our own soul. We stand beneath that 
unceasing fountain of mercy. Shall we sing the song and then I'm going to pray. Let's stand together.